the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Okie dokie. Hi, guys. Welcome back to Some Sanity. It's Morgan Zeggers. We're hanging out on the pink couch, as usual. <laughs> this is the pink couch in my living room. Um, today's topic, we're doing a topic, a subject focus today. Uh, we're going to talk about why I'm super annoyed with specifically little political movement boys that keep romanticizing and, and glamorizing the idea of going to civil war in America because they think it would be better than what we're experiencing with this today. Um, I've said this on all my different stuff on my Freedom Papers podcast with Turning Point where we go over the anti-federalist and federalist uh, debate papers during the ratification debates for the U.S. Constitution back in 1787. Um, I would talk about it just randomly in interviews all the time. And I figured I should probably do something on my own actual podcast so that my peeps know, because you guys are like my, my close peeps. Um, it's this weird thing. Is anybody noticing it? This weird thing where I will be sitting with someone that will probably die if there is a civil war and they'll be like, it's time for us to go to civil war. The liberals, the leftists are crazy. There's no way other than to fight them and win back America. And, oh man, I just, I like to stay really calm and just ask them, did you just say that? I'm sorry, what? Can you repeat that? You, you want to go to civil war? You want to separate the country? Interesting fascinating. And I just, I just like to observe like how deep are their convictions on this belief or is it just something they say when the microphone is in front of their face or, you know, what are their plans and how do they plan on participating in this war? <laughs> just the kind of stupidest stuff. But that's like modern day politics. Everybody out there listening, I, I hope you're not in the political movement. Jeez, it sucks. Um, it's an industry. Like people get rich. The, the people around me make so much money it's not even funny. I do this podcast for free and people will make, <laughs> people will call me and like ask me about it. I'm like, oh no, I just film it when I'm done working and then I edit it and then I post it because I want young people to hear it and be inspired. <laughs> and you should, once you see like how the fi finances of the political movement work and how every two years there, there's just so much fundraising for candidates and then there's all these political consultants and these commentators and stuff and the kind of money that they're making every every cycle is, is massive. And, you know, some of them do good work. But at the end of the day, I, I just see this constant cycle of people that will run for office or prop up candidates and the candidates then go viral and become Insta famous or, or Twitter famous and they fundraise millions of dollars and those millions of dollars – Go to the race, yeah, but it's a super far off race in terms of actually winning anything, and then the consultants all get rich. It's it's pretty disgusting, and so that's why I say that politics now in America, 
even the conservative movement is an industry and I hate it. Um, so take everything that you hear from them with a grain of salt. <laughs> Are they just saying spicy things because it sounds cool and it rallies up the troops or, or what's going on here? Are they really deep in their convictions when they say that they want to, you know, bring us to civil war? So I figured it would be nice to kind of have a little casual chit chat about um, some first steps that we should be taking as a nation before considering divorcing, national divorce, or, or separation as a nation and into regions or even just individual states or uh, just straight out fighting it. So I did an episode, a Q&A episode last week, and I was just really surprised how many people were like, Morgan, is this it? Is our nation over? And is it time to start like preparing to like go to battle? Like, are we going to have to fight for our founding documents? And I was like, wow, holy moly. I think the language has gotten a little out of control from the people at the top. And then that is dispersed nationwide into the homes of the Americans that listen to us talk. And it really concerns me. Um, so we're going to talk about some other solutions that we can take. I, I want to talk about some some initial concepts. Okay. So if, I'm a nerd. If you look at the federalist and anti-federalist debates, I'm like, okay, should we ratify the U.S. Constitution and make a union, for example? Let's start with this. Why it's important that we stay united. I'll make the case for why we should stay united. We may be really different with, with lifestyles right now, but here's the thing. Our, our founders intended to bring different groups of people together under one united nation, a federal government, um, because what happens when you have different groups of people with different lifestyles, different backgrounds, different hobbies and passions and in fields of work, for example, consider Texas versus somebody in California. What are they doing for work? Uh, what kind of lifestyle and passions do they have? How do they view government? How do they view what government's role should be in our lives? It's different. Um, and that's because it's different lifestyles. And so one of the things the founders addressed is, okay, if we've got all these different groups – this is Federalist Paper number 10. It's like, okay, different groups have proven throughout history that they will fight over some really frivolous things, but also some more serious things. So how do we prevent this from happening? We need to encourage cooperation between these different groups of people instead of encouraging their animosity, which will, as humans have proven, that small animosity can lead to war, which leads to devastation, which leads to horrible, horrible things, not just on the battlefield, because that's one horrible thing probably many, many horrible things, but think of the, the impact that it's going to have for decades on that nation, on those people. It's a long, long, terrible road to go down. If we can avoid violence, if we can avoid conflict, if we can avoid even animosity and encourage cooperation between different groups of people, that would be our best route. That's the concept that our founders had when saying, hey, we should probably form together in this union instead of being little states that fight against each other all the time. Consider... I don't know, Oklahoma versus California. We're obviously very different here in America. We're very different state by state, region by region. But if we look to what our founders said, they said this is going to be the safest thing because it encourages us to work together as a nation instead of having us fight it out as regions because then we're always going to be bickering. We're always going to be fighting. We're always going to be potentially going to war with each other. It's not good. That's why we were originally intended to be this union. So that's one thing. On top of that, when we look at foreign influence and foreign conflict, imagine – this is you know Federalist Papers 2 through 5. They make the case for 
for why it's really important for us to form this union so that we're stronger together instead of these individual states or regions that can then be attacked by our enemies. Imagine people always joke about shoving California out of the country, right? They're like, fine, go ahead, go be your own little country, California. You got your big GDP, you got your big country and your economy, all this stuff. You want to be your crazy liberal land, leftist land, whatever. Go ahead and be it. Just don't be in America. I hear a lot of people making that joke. Okay, what happens when California becomes its own tiny little country and then communist China wants to come on in and and press hard? What do we do in that situation? How much more weaker is California going to be in that situation dealing with a foreign enemy than it would be if it was a state, a part of our union? Uh, And then when you consider if we are, say, a union without the state of California in it, now we have California, which is much weaker, right on our border and much more susceptible to attack from communist China. And then we've got communist China on Western soil if they get into California. When you start to put these things together, you realize, holy crap, talking about divorcing our country or separating our country into pieces really opens us up to some bad things. So that's one important thing. We've got the domestic threats of just staying united encourages cooperation and not animosity between the states, which would lead to little brawls and fights and stuff because we're all different people with different passions and views on life and government. But then also the foreign, because if we are separated, then we are vulnerable to attacks. And not only that, that little state is vulnerable. And then our nation is more vulnerable because we've got uh, access to our borders and access to our soil, which is something that we're very privileged to not have right now in America. So those are two important things. The next aspect of it is, okay, there's probably some things we can do before we before we just say, screw it, we're going to give up and try and make a new country or we're going to try and just separate into areas that work together a little better and then we don't have to deal with the bad ones. I can't believe we're even talking about this, but <laughs> uh, let's, let's look at some options. Um, I'm a big believer. I, again, talk about this a lot, but I'm a big Esther 414 lady, okay? So, you know, we were made for such a time as this. People use it. I think they overuse it because um, everybody, like, they'll get in a little problem and they were like, I was made for this. God put me on this planet to handle this little kind of situation. Okay, I, I think it's a great verse. I don't think it could be applied to every aspect of our lives, every tiny little decision we make. Um, But it is very, very powerful when you look at it for dealing with serious issues, because I think God did put us all on this planet to handle these problems that we face as a nation and as as a world right now. Massive authoritarianism and uh, tyranny on the rise. Now, I also think, though, that Esther 4.14 doesn't just apply to us as individual people or us as a a movement right now, I I also think it applies if you look at it to our founding documents. And this is something people look back at the constitution and they say, Oh, it must've been a failed concept because look at us now after 200 and something years, look at the state of America. Perhaps our founders didn't make the greatest political document in history. Perhaps we didn't achieve such greatness because we're already collapsing. I would make the case that that's not what's happening right now. And instead, our politicians have completely abandoned the principles and the concepts that are on the greatest political document in world history, the Constitution, 
we've abandoned those principles and we're no longer abiding by those principles. We're no longer acting in a constitutional way. We have politicians that reject the principles of the constitution and it's leading to our country being in the state that it is. So it's not that our founders failed us and that our constitution is failing. It's that our politicians that we've selected for ourselves today do not abide by the constitution and are failing us by not doing so. They are failing our country by rejecting the constitution and no longer sticking to its principles. Do you see the difference there? And so if we look back to these core concepts, not just to what I discussed earlier with the handling domestic and foreign threats and why we're stronger when we are united, but the principles now of spreading out power, having limited government, and providing checks on anybody who does have power because our founders understood the nature of mankind. And they said, okay, we can't have no government because anarchy leads to oppression, which leads to some form of government. Honestly, you guys, government is just like this is the structure of leadership in a society or in a, a, a space, an area. If you think about it, there's literally no avoiding some form of government because guess what? You might be in a dictatorship. You could be in a monarchy. You could be in an oligarchy. You could be in some crap position. And that's what most of human history has been. But our founders came together and said, we might actually potentially be able to make a situation where we make a government of by and for the people. And that was unfrickin' precedented. Okay. It wasn't, we're just another country. We were unprecedented and people forget that these days. They just take it for granted, but government and some form of leadership, whether good or bad is going to happen in your life. And that is unavoidable people when they get power will often just oppress other people. And our founders understood that nature of mankind and so they created the Constitution, a federalist system with state power that the federal government is only established to encourage cooperation between the states when necessary. Very limited and small federal government. Look at us now, though. Completely abandoned that principle. The size of our federal government is insane. I mean, is it like $30 trillion of debt? I, I don't know anymore. It's insane. But um, we have abandoned that principle. Instead, we have this massive federal government, and Andy Biggs, who's the chairman of the House Freedom Caucus, he says it's no longer a federal government where the, the federal government is small and encourages cooperation between state powers. Instead, it's like a national government because it ignores the state powers. It says, screw you to the people. It doesn't have that check where the states can tell it to stop, and it, it feels that check on its own power. Instead, it's a national government that just is – living in Washington, D.C. and telling everybody in the nation what to do via executive mandate and, and these massive bills that Congress pass, passes that gives funding and directional power to the executive branch and the bureaucracy and the president. That's the kind of government that we have now. So you can argue that we've completely abandoned that single principle of federalism in America. And it's going to take – I've talked to people about this. Of If we actually wanted to fix it, it would literally take – electing an entire House of Representatives or enough people in the House to pass legislation that would remove these massive bills that give funding and authorization to the bureaucracy of the executive branch. We would have to get enough people in Congress that have that mindset. Doable in the long run, but I think it would take an enlightened population that understands the importance and has this revitalized, renewed passion for, for making that happen. So that's like a whole thing, and we could talk about that. Maybe we should talk about that. But um, for, for that purpose, that's what we're dealing with. We've abandoned the principle of having a small, limited federal government 
with state power being like really where the money is. Now, the solution that I see to this, before we talk about freaking civil war, before we talk about detaching from, from parts of America or sending out states to go be on their own, I think the bigger question that we all need to be asking is how do we get back to those core original founding values and intentions? I would argue that it's state power, local power, community power. One of the big problems that we have now is, like I said earlier, executive mandates or, or federal mandates where the federal government either tells that you can have funded mandates or you can have like non-funded mandates. And so the federal government can either say like, here's the money, you're going to take our money and we are mandating that you use this money to do these certain things in your own state. Or what they can do is they can tell states without funding them <laughs> that you have to do X, Y, Z, and you have to find your own funds to handle it. That's also at the state level. They, the states can mandate this to the local governments and they can either fund it or they won't. So unfunded or funded. What's really powerful, and this is where like if when I build my family and get property, I want to be in a state that is not financially dependent on the federal government that could literally tell the government – the federal government in Washington, D.C., to F off if we wanted to. Because when the states rely on federal funding for all of their programs, to handle all their pension, to whatever it may be, when they rely on getting federal taxpayer dollars sent to their state to fund programs, then the federal government can say, okay, well, we're not going to give you this money unless you comply with our new rules and our new mandates and whatever it may be. And it creates – basically the states are reliant on the federal government. And reliance, as I've talked about for years through Young Americans Against Socialism, reliance truly is the big failure of socialism because it builds a reliance where the people are reliant on the government to provide basic necessities, basic services, basic goods like food, health care, pension, retirement, jobs uh, – the government is the only provider of those things under socialism because they seize the means of production, they nationalize the major industries, and they become the producer and the provider of all of those products and services. The people then become reliant, and the government can say, unless you do X, Y, Z, we're not going to give you your hour to go to the grocery store. We're not going to give you your health care. We're not going to give you your pension. You're done unless you comply. So it's it becomes a society of force, not choice, because the government – is the only provider, the people are reliant. So reliance is really the the bad thing here. And right now our states are very much reliant on the federal government. So I'm going to look more into this and come up with a list of states that I see as being the least reliant on federal funds and on the federal government because those are going to be the safest ones I would say for us in the, in the long term and even the short term. But I'm going to build my family in a state that is not reliant on the federal government. I've decided that um, and I'm looking into the, researching all of that right now. But that's a, a key step here is, is getting back to the American core founding principle of saying, okay – we need to focus on our communities, our local areas, our neighbors even, and our state governments and making sure that those are as strong as wholesome, let's say that, because there's a lot of corrupt state governments out there, and as financially independent from the federal government as possible. That is a key, key thing. And to me, that's a lot more manageable, a lot more manageable and achievable and possible than saying, 
okay, our big vision goal is to replace every member of Congress with someone that understands we need to take back all of the bills that currently just massively fund the bureaucracy and give power to the executive branch. That's, that's definitely a goal that I would love to see happen. But I think if we're talking about immediate action items and, and short-term plans for like a, a two-year five-year, ten-year plan for us as as activists or just caring people. I think caring people need to just consider themselves activists at this point. You cannot be complacent with American society and just live your life and expect it to work out. You have to partake in this. Um, I think our goal, ten-year, five-year, two-year, should be focusing on state-level leadership and state-level change. Uh, first of all, because it's going to be safe for us and our families, Second, because I see, and this is kind of what I want to finish off on, I see this really concerning growth of authoritarianism, so force instead of choice, and tyranny, where federal bureaucracy, executive branch, and even Congress, I mean, shit, they are just out of control. They are telling us what to do, telling us what to do. And I'm so unbelievably disappointed with how many people in law enforcement don't understand that they are supposed to provide the check on the government. There are so many different checks, right? So the people provide the check on the government, the system of justice, and the government can provide the check on the people if the people want to oppress anybody in the population. So there, there's that two-way check. The states provide a check on the federal government. The federal government provides a check on the people. The executive branch and the legislative branch provide a check on the judicial branch. And so do all the, you know, the three. They have their little triangle of checks and balances there. But another check is supposed to be our law enforcement. They're supposed to say, I'm not going to enforce an unjust law. Okay? They don't just follow orders. And over the last two years, what did we see? We saw hair salon stylists get thrown in jail for not complying with COVID orders. And so as we see this tyranny rise up, there there's no stopping them. Okay? Like, this is just going to get way worse. Just buckle down. Okay? Don't have high hopes for that. Prepare for that and be aware of it, expect it, and then know what to do instead in, in advance. I don't see this slowing down anytime, but I want to see at a local level, a county level, a state level, our law enforcement at all of those levels understand that it's really up to them to provide that check and say we're no longer going to comply. I mean, look what's going on in Australia. It's insane. Our law enforcement is another aspect of a check on the system, and I'm shocked by how many of them refuse or at least have refused so far to say, I'm not going to do this anymore. And so ending solution for me, at least I, I'm not going to you know, provide every solution right now. It's, it's a tough topic and we'll keep talking about it, but I just mean current solution to not freaking saying we're going to go to civil war right away. Ooh, is for us to say, okay, well, as an individual, what's my role here? And, the left always talks about community activism. Let's look at community activism and community, what is it, community organizing. <laughs> we'll be a little community organizers for a second. Join me, if you will. But um, if we think about, okay, as, as people, we're supposed to be the people that have the power in the government, right? That's supposed to be what America's all about, <laughs> a, a society of choice and free will. Imagine. Ah. But um, as a local, a local person, especially with these mandates coming down, for example, the vaccine mandates. I would probably start, if I was, say, an employer, a business owner, if I was an employee, I would, I would communicate with the, all of the employees at, at the business about their intentions and what they think about the mandate. I would get a list, a team together of people that will not comply. 
And then I would respectfully request a meeting with the business owner. You can go two ways with this. Your business owner is either going to be super crappy or your business owner is going to understand freedom and choice. If your business owner understands freedom and choice, then you're in, you're in a good situation. If they don't, do you really want to work for them? If they don't, I suggest coordinating with other employees from other areas in town, other businesses in town, and working with any business owners and employees that will not comply. If you build that group of business owners and employees that are going to band together and say, we will not comply with this, we will not enforce it, you then ask for meetings with your local representatives and you find out who else is going to support you, who's going to be a part of this, who's not going to comply. You ask for meetings and you start to coordinate and respectfully request to sit down with the local law enforcement, the local sheriffs. You again build a coalition of people, of organizations, of businesses, of community leaders that will put their name onto something, a list of people who are not going to comply. You continue to build this coalition from a local level up, town level, county level, until you start asking for meetings with your state level representatives. It builds from meeting after meeting after meeting, community organizing, taking that name away from the left where they just have their stupid little rallies and they, they wave their protest signs and they don't really accomplish anything but burning and looting. If we reimagine what it means to be a community again in America the way our founders intended and state power the way founders intended, this all really starts with us getting off of social media and holding in-person meetings, not just the school board meetings are important, but all you get is three minutes to berate the people that are sitting behind the desk that probably don't want to hear about it at all. So obviously you need to replace those people in the elections, of course, but you can't just go and attend the school board meeting and think that that's it. Coordinating on a local level, growing to county, growing to state, and then working with your state level leaders to enact state level change and working with your state level leaders to also communicate to state level law enforcement and then coordinating that and saying as a state, we have this many people, this much money in our economy, these many, this many employers, this many employees, we are not going to comply with this anymore. And you start making sure that your members of Congress are aware of that. And so it's, it's so much more than just sending a, an email to your member of Congress. It's so much more than sending an email to your, your senator, sending an email to the White House in their submission form thing. This can really be done. And, and there's power in numbers. So that's really what our founders intended for us to be doing. That should be our, our two-year goal, I would say, because this is not going away anytime soon. Like It's time to buckle down and understand that. Uh, two-year, five-year, ten-year goal is to reform the states, to rethink community, to rethink education of our children, of course. I talk about that all the time. And to rethink leadership, um, rethink structuring government in our country, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our states, all the things. So uh, if you guys don't follow the Freedom Guide yet, please follow that on Instagram because that's our new initiative under my nonprofit. It's a solutions-oriented um, page. It's going to be a weekly podcast. Every podcast is literally a how-to fill-in-the-blank. How-to fill-in-the-blank, solutions-oriented, no complaining without providing a solution and without either asking an expert what their suggestions are or without having conversations with community leaders that have done it, seen it, 
done it before and they are experts in the sense that they have lived it out and we are going to learn from them. Uh, so we're really excited about it. It's the freedom guide at the freedom guide on Instagram, weekly podcast going to be available on YouTube, all the other things. So rumble, uh, Apple, Spotify, all the things, but I hope that that answers some questions for anybody that's like hearing the civil war talk. That's hearing the glamorizing talk from, from little beta boys that sit behind microphones and don't have like any muscle mass to their body, but think that we're going to win some civil war and, and save America in that form. Saving America. It it may not be like fun and hot and sexy to say, but it's going to start with you getting the F off of your phone, meeting with the people in your community and coordinating with your neighbors. That's how it's going to start. So with that, I'm sorry to get all spicy and sassy. I'm just annoyed by these people that are saying this stuff that's going to lead to atrocious, atrocious outcomes. We're all going to suffer if that ends up being what happens in our country. So I I just think that there's other things that can be done. Maybe I'm naive for saying that, but I think we should all be making every effort that we can. Two-year, five-year, ten-year, two-year, five-year, ten-year plans to really better this country and get us in a better situation. The left is not going to stop. So we can't stop either. We can't give up, um, but we need to coordinate. So with that, I'll talk to you later. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. Give me a five-star review and say this was the best dang podcast you ever did here. J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.